But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> We're late. Fifteen past. It's howdy doody time. <laughs> every it's now and then, every now and then, something happens in aviation, and I get like, like every not everybody, but I get lots of like twitters and emails and you know, notes on Facebook and whatever um, that we, this is something you guys should talk about. They're, and, they're called twitters now. I thought yeah, they were called tweets. The tweets. The, the, I'm so I'm so behind. You are. <laughs> but uh, that happened this week uh, with this uh, airplane that made an emergency land on Lakeshore Drive in Chicago. I love it. Did you guys see, see this story? Yeah, this yeah. is like, I know, huh? He did a great job. He did a great. He did a great job. There's a, there's a line in here though. There's a. It's about two thirds of the way towards the bottom. There's a paragraph. Said um, two pair. I'll read these two paragraphs. It was a tricky landing, but he stuck it. Chicago Fire Department spokesman Larry Langford said. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Two cars hit the airplane right. after it landed, then sped off. Peterson said. I know. Well, I mean. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. He was the victim of a hit and run after Try. successfully saving his life on Twice. Lakeshore Drive. Twice. I know. Yeah, I love it. So <laughs> there we go. You have, to wonder, you have to wonder what was going on in those two cars. Maybe, huh? I mean, you just yeah. have to. There we go, though. We we now have graphic proof that you're in more danger on the road on the way to the airport than you are flying right. your airplane. That's exactly right. Well, Lake, Lake, Lakeshore Drive can be a dicey place that time of day. For anything, yeah, no, I I agree. I've been there a couple of times in that area, and yeah, that's a busy road. That's a busy what, road. What aircraft is this? This is an LSA. It's, it's, a, it's Rand. a Rand. Okay, that's S6 that's yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, never is, mind. Uh, it, and and it is an LSA. It's not. No, it is an LSA. It's not. Yeah, it's yeah. not. Yeah, they're a, very not an experimental aircraft. or something like that. It's right? LSA eligible. I don't know how it's registered. Okay. Uh, I didn't look it up, but uh, you know, well, in, it, in the in the first comment here. Oh, is good too. It says, "Too bad Meg's field is closed." Yeah, yeah. I know, right? Somebody <laughs> that's said that what to I me. thought too. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> he'd right. have had a place to land exactly. right there, man. He probably he, landed he would, a beam it. You know, he wouldn't have been hit by two cars. <laughs> yeah, I know. See? He could have put it in the parking lot at Meg's for Pete's sake. Right. Yeah. So, what does it say here? It says uh, uh, Peterson. What's the guy say? John Peterson. Uh, I'm jumping into the middle of the story here. Had been flying his two seat plane over downtown Chicago when a when a stabilizing part broke broke loose, causing the aircraft to shake <laughs> violently. Right. I, if there's audio in the if you listen to the video here, there's there's audio in the background um, of his mayday call. Oh really? Yeah. And the yeah. thing is, you can hear the airplane shaking itself in in the background, uh-huh. and it sounded to me like engine. I think I think the connecting rod is what uh, uh, is is uh, is what broke that held the airplane together. <laughs> <laughs> the story goes on to say, unable to regain stability, the 51 year old electrician radioed a mayday to O'Hare International Airport. Uh, he says there's he he was quoted as saying, "There's no way I could have got it to Midway or O'Hare." Um, at the time of oh. the Mayday call, about 6 a.m., he was flying about 1,900 feet above Millennium Park. What's oh, Millennium Park is that park that's on? It's not on back on shore. It's not the name of what they gave me. It's it's where it's adjacent to to Megs. Yeah, but it, but it's on shore. It's in in, right. in amongst the buildings. Yeah, okay. Um, big big park that they use for a lot of different things. There's a big um, concert 
uh, stadium, you know, uh, facility there. Yeah, I'm surprised yeah. he wasn't high enough to get in there. And frankly, there would have been more open space that time of day. Yeah, I don't know. You'd I don't think. know. Anyways, the sun had not yet risen over Lake Michigan, but already uh, Lindsay O'Brien, apparently an eyewitness, uh, was starting to set up a water station in Grant Park for a 20 mile run. Or maybe there was a lot of people were getting ready for this run in the park. Oh, no, that's a good point. You know, anyways, the story goes on. Looking up, she saw Peterson's plane flying south across the western portion of the park, then banking and flying above Lakeshore Drive. Quote, it was like, she, this is a weird, it's a quote within a quote. Um, she said, it was like, that's really low, she recalled. And then he disappeared out of my sight line. Peterson, who said he'd been flying for five years, had decided Lakeshore Drive was his best landing spot. If timed correctly, he figured he could bring the plane down while traffic was stopped at a red light. <laughs> see, well, see, he still, had his end, he still had power, so he had a little bit more control over it than a lot of dead stick landings. Well, there's that, but you know, he also um, uh, he had to watch out for the right turn on red, guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, anyways, um, there was, isn't this the story where there's also a line about his wife and, and, uh, and she's saying she never did like flying. She, she never would fly with him and now she won't so, for sure. Maybe that's a different story. I don't know. I'm remembering. Uh, no. Next to last graph. Yeah, right. uh, and he wants me to get on a plane with him? She joked. Are you kidding me? Well, yeah. the man demonstrated his expertise. Exactly. exactly. His emergency. Say. His emergency chops. Who better to fly with than somebody that's been there, done that, and won't freak out? Exactly. If it ever happens again. Exactly. And, and, and what are the odds of it happening again? And <laughs> did he get hurt? He didn't get hurt. No, What's did, the deal? Did just fine. So congratulations to John Peterson for the, uh, successfully getting it back on the ground safely this uh, this week's uh, off-field landing of the week. Or as one of the commenters put it, congrats, John Sully Peterson. And <laughs> <laughs> boo Richard Mumbles Daily for plowing over Megs like a thief in the night. That's right. There we go. So, hey, listen, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you uh, this afternoon from uh, UCAP World Headquarters in the oh-so-scenic Epping Meadows uh, of New Hampshire. And I'm here with my three good friends this afternoon. Uh, Dave Dave Higdon is here with us uh, from uh, Wichita, Kansas. How you doing, David? Oh, doing fabulous. Doing fabulous. Continuing to chuckle over some of the comments uh, about the uh, RANS off-field landing of the week. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, lovely. Just lovely. Good, good. And also here, of course, is Jeb Burnside talking to us from the, the oh-so-wet Sarasota, Florida. How are you doing, Jeb? You floated away yet? Not yet. Uh, I've got a firm anchor, but um, it's soggy here. Yeah, I mean your house is like I don't know. I'm kind of make I'm making this stuff up. Your house is surrounded by water. You, you have oh, to like put no. on the galoshes to go to your car. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, the, the no. backyard is a little. Your pond uh, is a little yeah. over full right now. That's yeah. right. That's exactly right. Uh, the, did the gators yeah. abandon ship, or are they still there? Or? I saw one. I don't know if it was yesterday evening or earlier today. I don't remember. Uh, this is the the quote big one now. It's maybe he's maybe three feet. The others have kind of moved on. But um, he was well outside the old banks of the lake and still underwater. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. He's, they said, I used, to, I used to just hang out here and get some sun. What the heck? I don't understand yeah, this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And also with us this week is uh, Amy Lobota from somewhere near Fort Myers, Florida. How are you doing, Amy? 
I believe in global warming. I believe in global warming. <laughs> you think that's I what it's causing it all, right? <laughs> I have similar we're, we're, similar we're with uh, you. pond problems. Yeah, that's right. You have a big pond, and in, in not, not quite as personal a pond, but but you have a pond, and you're sort of facing the back of your house as well. And uh, yeah, how did you describe you it earlier? You said it's now what? A, uh, uh, I now have an infinity uh, pool edge. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you sit in the right spot, you can see past the edge of your pool sure. right out to the water of your pond. And, yeah, uh, that that right spot would be laying in my bed in the morning. Ah, well, <laughs> it's a little disconcerting. Yeah, I to would wake think that's right. That. Yeah, I would heard think the rain on the roof all night long. Yeah. You kind of look at it for a second and go, "Ah, uh, really?" <laughs> so, how have you been, Amy? It's been a while since we talked to you. I think Oshkosh, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I took a huge month off, mm-hmm. which was so healthy on so many different levels, and uh, I did not, uh, I didn't stop after Oshkosh. I headed west and did uh, Park City, Utah, Ooh, okay. and then from there out to Minden, Nevada, and knocked the dust off some of my soaring skills. I was going to ask. Okay, go ahead. Uh, we're going to ask you about that in a second. All the way out to uh, Sonoma County, mm-hmm. old stomping grounds, mm-hmm. and then had a, took a swing back through Albuquerque on the way home and visited uh, good friends Aspen Avionics. Oh, really? And got to see how they put together the boxes. Well, goodness gracious. Jeb, Dave, we don't need you guys this week. We're just going to talk to Amy for an hour. Sure. Um, there's all kinds of stuff going on here. Sonoma County, I, that's one of my favorite areas of, of uh California. I've always thought that if I moved back out there, I would give some serious consideration to living north of the Bay instead of, I live way down, you know, obviously in Silicon Valley. They have the best weather. They just have the best weather. They have really radical taxation and earthquakes, which kind of has kept me away. The earthquakes but don't I worry like me, but the, the, yeah, the, the uh, government situation out there is a little weird these days, no question about it. But uh, I often describe, uh, and maybe only a portion of our listenership, will make, this will make any sense to, but I often describe that you know, sort of north of the San Francisco Bay as kind of n- northern New England without the snowstorms. There you go. Uh, it's, you know, you go up uh, into that area and, and certainly out along the coast, if you go to Marin or, or even up into uh, Mendoc- Mendocino, um, it's very, very, to me, to, it's always felt very New England-like, but you don't get blizzards. Uh, no, you don't get blizzards, but in the winter, I've actually seen dusting of snow on the mountaintops. On so. the mountaintops, right, but not yes. down in the valleys, right? No. 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 No, no. Yeah. So that, that would that would go counter to, to my global yeah. warming. If there was snow, know, if there was snow down in the valley, and, and and it happened like one. I was in California for twelve years. It maybe happened once when I was there. Um, if if you get snow even in the air down on the valley floor, all right, it's a bigger news story than an earthquake. I mean, it's just huge. People freak out. All right, it's just it's very very different. Anyways, um, it's a very beautiful area. Uh, 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 Minden, did you go soaring? What'd you do? Ah, uh, five days worth. Really? When I say wow. knock the rust off and knock the dust off, uh, we had a blast. We had the ASK twenty ones. We abused a different instructor every day, and either I would go first, or then Barry would go up, and you know we alternated. And um, we're very different pilots, and so the instructor had very different tasks. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. It was great fun. Um, and, the, and the first day we were there, uh, they had us booked in the afternoon, and it was a rip-roaring thermal day. And I got to tell you, when it's a rip-roaring thermal day it, on the valley like that, 
you you're just south of uh, Carson City, and it is bumpy as stink on tow. Yeah, and if I, you haven't been on tow for a couple of years and you've never done it in that particular machine. You're going to get your butt kicked, uh-huh. and that's pretty much what happened to both of us on our first flights. I mean, we both got great great height, not mm-hmm. a problem, um, up 12,500, 13,500. Heck, Barry went to 16,500, and then sheepishly came back because he was cold because he had shorts on and no socks. Florida guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, he could have gone all day, but you know the water bottles were frozen, um, and and I got nauseous at twelve five because that's a lot of turning, man. Yeah. Steep, steep turning. So I had to laugh at myself. And the instructor's like, "We're there, we're there, we're at the base of the clouds. Now it's time to." I said, "Yeah, it's time to go back." He said, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> when I think of Minden, I I, I don't I think of uh, of. Uh, you know, ridge lift kind of soaring, not not uh, thermals. Is they there? got it all. They yeah. got it all. I, apparently, Minden is the place in the U.S. for soaring. Is that an accurate statement? It is one of many the places. Really? There's some oh, right by you. Sugarbush, Vermont has, has killer lift and wave. It's interesting. I'm going there this weekend. My, my brother lives right there and right near Warren Airport, oh. which is the, the base for that, that, that soaring operation. He lives yeah, literally around the corner. He lives the, the, Owens, the Owens Valley and the Sierras, uh, up and down the Sierras, are a lot of good soaring locations. A lot uh-huh. of hang gliders fly out there. Yeah. Yes, they do. Uh, they do. They, they get to, re- they get to, you know, bloody ridiculous altitudes and those things. So, uh, thermal suits, oxygen bottles inside the double surface. Uh, serious stuff. Yeah. Well, remember that's where the um, the what, what and. Jeb, you have to remind me. Was it a Falcon jet that hit the glider? The Japanese guy bailed out, and oh, the yeah. woman landed no, with. It was oh, the hawker. hawker. That's it right. Hawker. It was a hawker, yeah, yeah. and she landed with the instrument panel in her lap yeah. and no windscreen. Yeah. Well, that's... and that happened out there. And let me tell you, I know how it happened. It's a very busy GA Valley, uh-huh. and it was a spooky busy, like mm-hmm. you know, a lot going on. And you're thermaling or working your way up to where the wave is right nearby. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I've been, um, I, I talked about it a year ago when I went up there to visit. Um, I've been invited again to go up to the, uh, the, the, I call it the Mount Washington Wave Camp. There's a bunch of gliding uh, clubs that gather for a long week, like 10, 12 days, um, up at uh, just north of Mount Washington in New Hampshire. How and, cool. And there's apparently a particular, you know, you know, sort of a, 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 a terrain up there that causes some really excellent wave, and uh, they go up there this time of year every year for a week of uh, trying to, you know, get some really high flights. And uh, I went up there last year. I've been invited again. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able because of work, but uh, well, I think the terrain you're referring to is Mount Washington itself, yeah, one of the uh, most yeah. windy places. Yeah. On the continent, right? It's, I'm not positive. It's one, it, but it's definitely that that sort of area of hills, and uh, um, the, the the airport they fly out of. I'm I'm blanking. Maybe it's called Gorham. I'm not sure, but they call it Gorham Wave Camp or um, uh, Mount Washington Wave Camp. Wave Camp, and uh, um, it's 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 really beautiful up there. And uh, you go up, and, and these guys just. I mean, it's just a whole bunch of gliders. They all trailer them, trailer them in and put them all together and spend ten, twelve days flying. It's a uh, it's uh, pretty cool. 
It's pretty cool. It sounds wonderful. The other thing we played around with was we did a little parasailing outside of Salt Lake City, which was great fun too. Neat. What was that like? Parasailing. That's uh, so. How, well, it, how, is that uh, behind a tow or? No, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, parasailing is you step off the hill. And you've got a big, you know, wing above you, big square wing, right? Mm-hmm. Just like the the guys with the with the um, the paraplanes, right? Only you don't have the fan on the back, and you just step off into the into the ridge lift. Okay, sounds like a Dave Higdon kind of thing. <laughs> oh, paragliding. Paragliding, yes, yeah. yes, it's it's a Dave Higdon kind of thing, and we, yes. we, we it was all grins and giggles. It was a very basic lesson. It was a tandem lesson uh, under a very big uh, uh, wing, uh, but we we had a hoot one morning, just a hoot. Cool, sounds cool. Sounds cool. Yeah, what's going it, it's on? In- probably it's probably the most economical soaring and flying that you can do uh, in terms of getting the equipment. Yeah. And God, it'll go into the trunk of a hatchback. So Yeah, it will, into a big backpack, like the kind that you see the, the serious pack, backpackers, um, you know, going up the mountains with. What's interesting, though, is our instructor had been to 16,000, 17,000 feet. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I, they're shooting for higher at Gorham. I know they're... You know, if they don't get to like in the twenties, they're they're upset. They like didn't. Yeah, but they're they're wearing thing. a glider. They're not wearing a parachute. Oh, para- oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were still talking about the gliders. Okay, yeah, no, no, I agree. That's very yeah, that's impressive, definitely <laughs> impressive. Um, couple. There was a story a while back about a fly-in that was encouraging people to attend by offering really inexpensive gas. And when I first saw this story, I thought this was the same thing, but apparently it's not. Um, Redbird, um, I, this is the uh, uh, full motion simulator folks, um, are doing all these interesting things to try and promote aviation and promote uh, flight training. Um, we talked about their uh, their uh, f- flight trainer uh, uh, spec that they've talked about at Oshkosh. And another thing is at their home airport, which I believe is apparently is San Marcos, Texas, um, they are offering Avgas for $1 a gallon throughout the month of October. Now, so you'd think that they could they could make such an offer and no one would try and come up with ways to abuse it, you know, but no. So they've apparently had to come up with a, some rules here about, uh, like, you can't bring a whole slew of uh, red gas tank cans. Um, you... Uh, the dollar a gallon fuel experiment. I know, huh? Um, in, there, in this story in uh, EAA.org's website, uh, the $1 per gallon offer still stands, but Redbird Skyport will only fuel standard tanks on an airplane, not temporary or ferry tanks, and the $1 fuel amount will be restricted to 200 gallons per airplane. Uh, Redbird also reserves the right to not sell the $1 fuel to operators that it believes are violating the spirit of the experiment. So, uh, good for that's them. It's better I mean, than happy hour down at the bar. I know. It's pretty good. Happy hour. Well, that's, probably not a mo- that's probably not the metaphor we want to go for here in the aviation uh, uh, environment. But uh, what, do you th- what would they think about Jeb's tip tanks? I don't know. Huh? Well, they, they, according to this policy, they, they, would, they would fill them. But. Uh-huh. Yeah. What's the total capacity of your airplane when you fill it up from empty, Jeb? Um, 110, oh, okay. um, 114. Yeah. So, 
It says, uh, for anybody who's in that, in that area, where is it? The Redbird Skyport in Texas. Uh, the $1 Avgas will be available during Skyport's normal hours from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. each day during October. It says, oh, however, given the initial response, it's likely there will be significant delays in gas lines at the airport. That's great. That's what we've wanted all along. We need gas lines at the, uh, at the fuel island at, at our airports. Well, you know why they're doing it. They want to see if it's just cost. Yeah, yeah, I did read that. You're right. So they want to, are they going to like, they're going to do stats and they're going to figure out whether flying goes up or down or stays the same in in the presence of inexpensive gas. That's exactly right. And then they're building up towards their own fly-in and uh, conference at the end of October. Maybe that's what I was thinking of from the earlier story, too. Okay. Well, that's great. The Redboard, Redbird people, for all the things that they're doing, including their cool product, um, deserve a lot well, of Well, uh, you think outside the box of the immediate Redbird experiment, this could cause some smart people to calculate that they could afford to take a trip or two that they wouldn't otherwise tackle because they'll be able to refuel in San Marcos at a buck a gallon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And if you could do that both directions on a trip, think of how much cheaper, you know, like going from Florida to Vegas or Albuquerque or something like that uh, or farther. Uh, the only contingency being you're going to have to go through San Marcos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's only 835 nautical, great circle from here. Yeah, so there you go. That would be worth the trip, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, it wouldn't. <laughs> no, I said even. only if you were going in that direction. Well, you know, place beyond. Amy's our transcon, uh, you know, personal airplane person these days. So uh, she's the one. You're the one that's going to get to take advantage of this. Maybe I don't know. You're probably done uh, flying that kind uh, of distance for a little while. I think I think I shot my wad just getting back. Yeah. Because maybe you didn't, maybe people weren't, so when you talked about that trip that went from Oshkosh to the West Coast and then back by way of, of Aspen, um, you guys did that in, in the RV, right? That's exactly right, in yeah. the RV-10. And, and we were getting um, about 16 miles to the gallon, is okay. using car talk words. 16 miles to a gallon. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We actually have a stats section in our EFIS that does an average. Yeah. And so you have to understand that that's an average for all the time that the airplane's been going. So it includes break-in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's possible that we're actually getting better mileage than that. But break-in was at full rich. Um, right. And so your mileage may vary. Um, that would be interesting to factor that out and see what it is. What it That's is. still an outstanding number. It is. Considering the cruise speed that you get out of that airplane in particular. Yeah. Yeah, we're going 200 miles an hour. Yeah. Right. Not nautical miles an hour. Right. Miles an hour. Yeah. Um, as long as you're consistent in how you state them, it doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 Amy, I'm curious, where did you cross the Rockies going and coming? Um, well, you know, it's interesting. We came from from Milwaukee area because we were at Timmerman, remember, um, which I really liked. It was very easy in, very easy out. I was surprised not that many airplanes took advantage of it. Um, but we left Timmerman. We went uh, west. We were kind of skirting some weather. So we were in Nebraska for a little while. We, of course, crossed uh, Minnesota, crossed the Mississippi. Mm -hmm. 
And then I saw the Missouri, which was really quite lovely. Yeah. At one point, mm-hmm. uh, we caught the edge of Cheyenne uh-huh. and we landed in Laramie about two o'clock in the afternoon, chewed up and spit out yeah. and ready for bed. <laughs> but but you were you followed the route that the, that was like the route. All right. That's that's the uh, the old uh, uh, Oregon Trail kind of thing. You know, you yeah, did in a day it's, it's what the low it's the low uh, territory. Yeah. You, know? you, you did in a day what what uh, uh, the the immigrants did in like, you know, six months, eight months. So. Uh, yeah, but I felt like the immigrants, I swear, no. okay. after a week. I take your point, stuff. but they did have a harder time of it than even you did. So I'm thinking they did, but, yeah. but Laramie had good beef. Yeah. Uh, and, no no uh, kidding. A heck of a deal if the FBO got us like the $75 a night room at the Fairfield Inn, which is actually Fairfield Inns and Suites is a, a very nice Marriott property. So mm-hmm. uh, we were cozy and happy nice. and and they loaned us the crew car. God bless them. And then where did you come back? Uh, well, we came, we always come back the southern route. But, you know, last year when we did the Great Circle for our 25th anniversary, we went all the way south to Yuma. And that was when the iPad overheated in Yuma. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, one more reason why. Why would you go there again? No, it was really hot there. Uh-huh. It, was a, it was a quick turn. And as we went to leave, we got, you know, the big caution, the, the triangle with the exclamation point in it. And anybody who's seen it on their iPad knows what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. And you are no longer going to be able to use anything with that until you got it to cool down. And in mm. Yuma at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you had to climb. So yeah. you, you weren't going to be able to find cool air. I don't have an air conditioner in my airplane. My air conditioner is wherever the air is cool. Right. So how high did you have to get to get over the hills there at, at Yuma? Uh, well, it wasn't so much about have to get. It was where we wanted to be to be comfortable. So we were up in the, up in the uh, you know, <laughs> oddballs go east, so 9,500 uh, range. But you can't climb fast when it's hot like that and you just did a quick turn. Jeff knows what I'm talking about because oh, yeah. yeah. you'll overtemp your engine. Yeah. So it, it's a conundrum, it's, and there's yeah. a bunch of restricted not moa but restricted airspace at that airport so just getting out of that airport is a trick all by itself this was minden no no we're talking about yuma last yeah, year yuma. oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. this time this time uh, we cut across and we went past china lake mm-hmm. and we went south of las vegas and we crossed the colorado river south of lake mead Mm-hmm. And it was just stunning. Oh, I bet. Stunning. And we did a, a fuel stop in Flagstaff, mm-hmm. which was not as hot, but a lot higher. I actually had to climb up in order to get into the pattern at Flagstaff to land. And as we left from that rapid turn, and I'll never forget because I was, I was grumpy at that point. I was tired, I think. Um, I had flown two of the legs, and then it was Barry's leg to Albuquerque. He went in, and he came out, and he had fresh-made chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> and he paid for the yeah. paid for the gas in a cup. And he, and I was sitting in the co-pilot seat, and he said, "Here, eat this. You'll feel better." It was like a Snickers commercial. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. And he was right. <laughs> 
Yes. Yes. For about an hour, and then you crashed and wanted to go to sleep, right? You know. But what was fascinating is as we were taxiing down to the end of the runway, they have an LED sign, and it flashes the density altitude at you, and it was 10,000 feet density altitude. And we both looked at each other, and we went, this this ought to be interesting. Yeah. But they have a displaced threshold that's usable for takeoff but not for landing. And it's an extra thousand feet for takeoff. There you go. That's a help big time. Big time. Yes. Help. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So we did fine. We did fine. We climbed out beautifully. That and a constant speed prop. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, cool. sir. So that was I would have to say that was that was the most interesting part of the trip. Um Aspen's got some neat stuff. Uh, what I loved is seeing how they they wedge all that stuff into those little tiny tubes and what they do with them um, in terms of temperature and breaking and stuff like that. Oh, isn't that cool how one. they bake them and all that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They put them through a bunch of cycles. Neat. Neat. They shake the holy crap out of them. They heat them. They bake them. They blow them. They suck them. Then they kiss them and send them off to their new owners. Okay. Well, thank you for that image, we, David. We, we just jumped the shark. Yeah. Hey, the cats on this podcast represent no one and are here strictly on their own behalf and behest, baby, yes. Now, Dig, if it sounds like they're talking to you about how to fly your airplane, you got to keep in mind that these dudes are speaking purely from their own headspace. you got to interpret their knowledge and their wisdom as being completely general, baby. When it's you in the left seat, you got to consider your situation, remember your training, and fly your aircraft. Can you dig it? <laughs> So everybody knows that I'm a big Cessna guy and uh, and love my uh, 152s, um, but Cessna's got a new airplane. I want, they should call it the F-152. This is a weird story. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to make of this story. <laughs> I love it. That's I know, good. I don't know what That's to make of this story. I think we could make that stick. I think that'll be the, the episode title. Cessna has announced recently that they're going to build a, a military fighter. Uh, a fighter plane, and uh, I, you know, what's the story here? Is this a story? Well, it's not necessarily Cessna. It's um, what Text- is it? Parent company. Okay. Yeah, Textron okay. launched this project using as resources Cessna and uh, another partner company, Airland Enterprises, uh, and they're tapping Cessna engineering talent, uh, but they're being driven pretty much by their own marketing. Uh, research and their own defense budget expectations that uh, that they can come up with a jet version of a light attack airplane that uh, that uh, along the lines of what Beach has been so desperately trying to land a contract for in the AT6 version of its uh, trainer. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, does and, this, and they, they have a track record, Cessna does. Well, so. no question. Cessna is, has definitely got the chops for, for building you know, just about any kind of airplane that they choose to try and build. My question, I guess, is that you know, given that it takes 10 to 20 years to, to build and certify and kind of you know, produce you know, um, a, a military aircraft, um, and, and also given that, um, that onboard piloted fighter planes are just about done, does this really make sense? <laughs> well, guys, the market for this airplane is not the U.S. government. Oh, well, okay, there is that. Well, you know, who who you think? I mean, our allies, uh, right? Uh, Africa. Uh-huh. Um, maybe, uh huh. Maybe some Asian countries might make a great trainer. Okay. Tra- um, a trainer for what? You know, because the because uh, all the. Uh, I, th- you know, I think I th- all the I think drone guys need is a Nintendo. I, I well, think you're uh, over o- overestimating how fast we're going to get to a pilotless air force. Right. Well, it, well, you're overestimating that at least with respect to second and third world countries. That Jeb, I agree. that that makes sense to me, Jeb. Uh, David, I think when you're looking ten, twenty years out, I don't think I'm I'm overestimating at all. I think that fighter planes are just oh, about twenty done. years, thirty years. Yeah, I think we'll see the fleet mixed over that time period, uh, given that it's already mixed to a certain extent. It's totally mixed right now. I mean, but you know, but there's still a long way to go uh, for some of the roles that can be performed by air support mm-hmm. that aren't in the same vein as what we're hearing talked about frontline fighters with no pilots uh, like our remotely piloted version or autonomous versions of, an, of, of the F-35 for example uh, there's always been room for contenders who can come in light, nimble self-funded and not dependent on a Pentagon contract just to do the R&D work in response to a request for proposal. They look at what are desirable traits across a a fairly broad area of mission demands. Flight training in this case would be a good one for an intermediate jet like this. Light attack work is not much different in terms of uh, flight characteristics, more in terms of structural uh, demands. Uh, Put them together, do it on a shoestring, price it competitively, and you got about a one in ten chance of succeeding. Yeah, okay. All right. You know, I mean, far be... one, One in ten. Now, uh, Cessna was going down the path of a multi-engine light jet trainer when it was competing for the JPATS contract 20 years ago that wound up getting uh, fulfilled by the Beechcraft uh, T6 Alpha, uh, the Texan II, uh, which is now up for contention for light attack work in some countries, although not in the U.S. They picked a Brazilian hybrid of <laughs> the Northern Ireland design uh, and there are a lot of countries out there that would love to be able to take an aircraft like this and bring their primary students from their piston work into the light jet trainer and then just add the weapon systems to get them into flying the light attack and the air support roles, close air support roles, that uh, are all they really need in a lot of those countries. Yeah, okay. Uh, but well, there's more losers than winners that have gone down this path. Well, yeah, but that's, yeah, right. It's a, yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's still a tall order. Yeah. yeah. But I don't see the market here being uh, uh, the U.S. military uh, unless, you know, 
maybe Homeland Security could use a few. But yeah, uh, I don't, don't want to go, there. Yeah, go yeah, there. Right, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. We'll, we'll keep an eye on this one, I think. Um, moving on. So uh, I, I, I want to kind of back into the story. I'm trying to get some background here. What is the National Aeronautic Association? National Air, go ahead. Is this a real kind of reputable? I'm not real familiar. Oh with yeah, this they've been around for years. It's 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 mainly it's. Let me let me load their page. It's one of the country's oldest aeronautical groups. It's the okay. U.S. representative to the Federation Aeronautique Internationale, which okay. is the international body that recognizes and awards world records. Okay. So, so this is a, a, a bona fide, cr- ha- oh, yeah. and it represents a real cross section of aviation. It's not just oh, yeah. airlines well, or the. Well, that's I think maybe where we will end up chatting. Some yeah, more. and that's kind of what I wanted to kind of get on the table okay. here. Um, what's I think the cons- it has the vision that it's representing that cross section, but I defer to Jeb because I think Jeb's probably right about the discussion. Yeah. Jeb, how would well, you actually characterize its uh, following? Let's 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 let me kind of uh, just not answer that immediately. Okay. Um, reading from their website, the National Aeronautic Association is the oldest national aviation organization in the United States. That's a true statement. It's it's a nonprofit organization, quote, dedicated to the advancement of the art, sport, and science of aviation in the United States. That's its mission statement. Um, it's been around um, I don't know at least since the twenties. Uh, uh, incorporated in 1922. Okay, um, so it goes back that far, going coming up on uh, 91 years. Um, as such, it is you know the the uh, longest uh, running organization in the U.S. Um, of immediate import, uh, they ten- announced today that Marion Blakey, former yeah. FAA administrator, will be getting their right trophy now. Right. We we talked about the Wright Trophy in a recent episode uh-huh. um, when we talked about uh, Paul Poberesny's passing and how uh, Poberesny had received the Wright Trophy back in the early aughts. I think it was 03, 02 or 03. Um, other people um, who have uh, received this award uh, include Charles Lindbergh, Jimmy Doolittle, um, people of that stature. Um, I'm not sure Marion Blakey qualifies. Yeah, really. The uh, the from, again, we're reading now from the Avweb story announcing uh, uh, Marion Blakey's uh, awarding of this this prize. Um, the uh, the 2013 Wright Trophy. Let's see, the Wright Trophy annually awarded by the National Aeronautic Association to a living American who has given quote significant public service of enduring value to aviation in the United States. So I don't know. Well, I think a lot of us in GA, you know, um, the story the story says um, since ending her five year term as FAA administrator in two thousand seven, Blakey has been the president of the Aerospace Industries Association, a Washington group that represents defense and aerospace industry companies. Thank you. Um, and. Uh, and NAA, the National Aeronautics Association, cites Blakey's push to bring satellite navigation to the air traffic control system through NextGen as one of her pr- principal contributions. Um, um, her career, particularly at the FAA, she has share of controversy, however, and they, they talk about things like uh, user fees and, and so forth. So I don't know. Is it, is it, 
Is it fa- only fair to say that we in GA maybe aren't the biggest Marion Blakey fans? But well, that- do we do we forget that she was NTSB before she was FAA? I had forgotten that actually until I'd read this story. Yeah. So did she do a good job at NTSB? Did she? She did. Uh-huh. She did. So she sat in a whole bunch of very influential positions, whether you agree with what she did or not. Maybe that's the the side that the NAA was looking at. Maybe I, I I don't I certainly don't challenge that she has has been a great public servant um, that, that she's she's played a lot of roles in government that she has been selected over and over again by various presidents. I mean we're not talking like you know she kind of reached the Peter principle here. One president, multiple presidents have uh, or multiple times she has been appointed by the president to to play various roles. Um, she certainly has been a great public servant. I guess I'm just not clear well, that her aviation contribution is all that outstanding. I've, I've interviewed her a couple of times, and mm-hmm. she, she's, she's all there. She's, she's a very, very knowledgeable, very personable, mm-hmm. okay. and, 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 and quite interesting person. And I believe that I, I think NAA um, credits a whole bunch of, of next gen to the groundwork that she laid, quite frankly, well. at both NTSB and FAA. But but I think there are some some people who really would have preferred that Bob Hoover get this award. Oh, well. Yeah, and that's that's drum beat's going to come back stronger next year, yeah. uh, particularly if Bob's still with us, because that's one of the limitations of the Wright Brothers Memorial Trophy. They don't give it posthumously. Oh, I see what you're saying. I hadn't. I hadn't. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting to, point. They awarded annually to a living American. Yeah. Yep. 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 I did see that. I just didn't make the. I didn't connect the dots. That's that's an and, interesting observation. I don't know. And, Anyways, and, you know the board of directors and the membership that comes to the uh, NAA lunches and some of the other stuff in DC is very heavily industry and lobbyist work saturated. Jeb and I know that from having our own turn through some of those lunches. Uh, but the international prominence of the organization uh, has really been pretty stellar over the years. I mean, if you want to set a record in a, some kind of flying conveyance, you apply for a license to do this through the NAA, and they work with you to document and record the information so you can submit it to them. They'll certify it as a U.S. record if that's so. It gets forwarded to the Federation, and they look at it on the basis of a world record. If they certify it, it all comes back through the NAA to be awarded to the individual group, team that set the record. Uh, This award is uh, open to nominations from the members. Mm Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be a mover shaker to be a member. Uh, you just have to sign up, pay dues. Uh, but the people who tend to participate in the nomination process tend to be the same people that show up at, at, the, at the functions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's largely an inside the beltway. Nothing wrong with that because they very often know far more about the backstory of a lot of things than we do out in on the in the front seats. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
but that doesn't mean that they're always right. Right? It doesn't mean that they always make an agreeable selection. Uh, my reaction to uh, Mrs. Blakey's uh, selection was kind of in line with the rest of you. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I don't think that was Amy's re- reaction, but it was our mine and Jeb's. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeb, this was your subject. Do you want a final word? No. It's, it, well, uh, three words. Follow the money. Uh, yeah. Okay. Maybe. Maybe that's Jeb. A I won't argue no. with you yeah. there. I won't argue with you there, Jeb. Yeah. Okay. Um, moving on. Uh, two federal stories here. We're gonna do these in less than five minutes. Darn it. Uh, has the House has the uh, the U.S. Congress's House General Aviation Caucus reached its Peter Principle level? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> have we re- have we reached peak caucus yet? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So there's a story in the news recently about how um, the GA uh, Caucus in the House has reached now 50 percent of the House members are members of the caucus, and more I'm than a, more than 50 percent. Yeah, more than 50 percent. I'm having a hard time imagining that 50 percent of the members of the House really, really have that much interest or, or expertise in the subject of avia- general aviation. Um, did you, but, Jeb, David, you know more about this than I do. What's the story here? You're right. Uh, it's yeah. just like, I mean, it's kind of reaching the point of diminishing returns. I'm not sure how. No, know, no, no, no. That doesn't, that doesn't work in this environment. Yeah. You, it, 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 there's not a diminished return from having more members in this no, particular no. case. Well, but, but, but does it, is it a sign that they aren't really supportive of GA? They're just kind of signing on to the, to the latest, you know, cool thing. I, okay. To me, from my time working there, and unless this, aspect of human nature has has been revoked along some reversal of of, uh, evolution lines that I've not not seen. Uh, This works because they found a good reason to support the caucus. Now, maybe that's in votes at at the polls. Maybe that's in campaign contributions. Maybe it's in the fact that they're hearing a lot from constituents who fly – Mm-hmm. And have decided that if they're hearing from that many, and I'm talking maybe a couple of hundred mm-hmm. yeah, right. out of a district. Yep. I'm not talking tens of thousands here. I'm talking about a few hundred who consistently say, you know, I support these GA issues, AOPA, NATA, NBAA, whatever. And they go, you know, maybe belonging to this caucus wouldn't hurt. And how much staff time is it going to take once a month? Probably not much. Probably not much more of the lawmaker's time in a month. And with that, they get an opportunity to plead for more contributions, more support to remind people in their district to fly about their membership in the caucus the next time that their hand is out or they're up for office. Okay. All right. Um, Nothing cynical about it. That's All right. So David thinks this can still work for us. Uh, uh, Jeb, Amy? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a good thing. Uh, it's, and it's uh, an interesting milestone. Um, but the question you asked at the top of this segment relative to, does this mean that more than 50% of the U.S. House of Representatives is going to march in lockstep with what general aviation wants? No, that's not what it means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, but there, there is comfort in numbers, but when it hits the fan, 
they ain't necessarily going to vote the way you want. Right, no. right. Now, speaking but it of, does mean they're going to be hearing in a position where they will hear repeatedly uh-huh. what GA's positions are, what the community's positions are on user fees, right, and and, and when they're control private privatization, yeah. which and is on, the next big bugaboo coming yeah, down. And on like, on those rare occasions where there is a vote of any consequence outside a committee, uh, they'll have a piece of paper that says. Uh, the General Aviation Caucus su- supports or opposes acts, yeah. yes. and they're and they're a member of that caucus. Now, um, that may or may not bear, you know, a whole lot of weight, uh, depending on the issue and depending on the politics of it. But it's it's, a, it's better than nothing. And it's, it's a can't hurt, yeah. might yeah, exactly. help kind of scenario. Exactly. Okay, it all right. Means that they've noticed you, they've recognized what you what what you're squeaking about. And decided that you're important enough to give a little bit of their time to. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah. The flip side of which is now general aviation is unfortunately favorably associated with half of the current con- – more than half of the current Congress. So, <laughs> yeah, and that's that's no, the no, downside. No, not simply the yeah, Congress, the House of Representatives, right? Yeah. Well, the House of Representatives. But I take exception to that. <laughs> All right, moving on. I here. resemble that remark. Moving on. The other, the other federal story here. Um, this is reading from a story from uh, Blue, Bloomberg, the business network, Bloomberg.com. Um, I'm jumping in the middle of the story. FAA officials have told aviation industry officials and lawmakers that a new round of furloughs will be needed to close a budget gap of as much as $700 million in the fiscal year starting October 1st. Um, so, uh, so the, the, here we go again. All right. Uh, I, I'm now I'm pretty cynical about this one. What, uh, I, I, this is probably a jab item. Who put this on the list? Anyways. Uh, I, I did not. Um, this is really simple. Yeah. Well, go ahead, David. Uh, well, I mean, it's simple. We've not been operating with a regular budget for years now. The sequester, which is still in effect, boys and girls. Right comes back in a new form at the beginning of the new fiscal year. Uh-huh. The solution that ended the furloughs ends on September 30th. Right. So we're into a new sequester with a new non-budget operating on a continuing resolution. Yeah. Means that sequester cut stuff starts all over again. I know. I understand that part. Now I- they got to come up with money to close that hole if they want to keep those controllers on the job, which is what they did last year or earlier this year. And you know what they learned earlier this year? They learned that this is a push-button issue. And, uh, you know, I don't know whether it's the FAA or if it's the White House or if it's somebody in between, but... uh, For whom is it a push-button issue? The, The... the the Congress they discovered that they can get more money. All right, they're 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 getting this on the table now, and they're saying we need another bill for you to w- do a workaround to sequester because we want want some That's money. That's because they didn't want to be delayed going home from exactly. National Airport on that Friday had, night. Right. That and had that, that had Dick Bupkis squat not a zip to do with what um, the traveling public wanted. It had everything I think it was to do. the most perfectly orchestrated. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and, they, and had, I'm saying they're laying the groundwork to, to do it again. Yeah. Exactly, it had everything to do with uh, members of Congress getting easily to and from Washington. That's what it had to do with. And then uh-huh. the industry minions that have for decades fought tooth and nail, argued to spit coming out of their faces against using. Airport and Airways trust fund monies for paper clips and salaries uh-huh. caved in to transferring money from the Airport and Airways trust fund to pay for air traffic control salaries. 
So we've got a precedent set. Well, repeating it this time will just establish it as permanent. Yeah, I know. We, That's what we I'm may go through all this tower closure nonsense again. We may go, we'll we'll have other um, fights about funding air traffic control services at uh, major flying events. We get to go through this whole thing again. Yeah, I know. You know? Anyway, well, so there's, there's a whole big industry push from the airline side that's just now starting to spool up with money and white papers and talking points and guys getting ready to spread out on the Sunday morning talk shows about now in the midst of the budget problems and the reduced uh, uh, operating funds that it's time to seriously look at taking air traffic control private. I'm telling you, I feel like I'm Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. Yeah, all over again. again. Yeah, I know, huh? All right. I thought leaving D.C. would get me out of being wrapped around the wheel of all this crap repeating every four to six years. But I was wrong. Yeah, you were wrong. No, I think think you'd have to go to Singapore myself. Yeah. All right. I don't think that's far enough. Moving on. Settle the argument up there. Moving on. All I need is snowshoes. Yeah, okay. Um, as much as I love Canada, they've got their problems, too. Um, all right, that's enough. Let's talk about something fun. Amy, Triple Tree Aerodrome. wee and you thought I stopped flying after I did that great giant uh, big circle that I have committed myself to doing at least once a year now. Yeah, now this little blurb, this little teaser you're giving us is really cool. What, first of all, where is the Triple Tree Aerodrome? Ah, uh, it's a magical place. Oh, you're not okay, going to tell it's us. It's kind of a Neverland. Uh-huh. For for pilots, yeah. okay, okay. Don't think Michael Jackson Neverland. No, think no, 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 Peter no. Pan. Okay, think what? I'm sorry, Peter Pan, not Michael Jackson. All right, okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. No, okay. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Get up off the floor now. <laughs> okay. Peter Pan, not Michael Jackson. Yeah, no, no, no. There's a story. What's his name? Um, the uh, Richard Pat? Bach. Richard Bach wrote a series of short stories about a mystical airport that he had either was real or he envisioned that was just like the ultimate grassroots airport. And there maybe, you go. Maybe he was writing about Triple Tree Aerodrome. And Pat, Pat Harkness has channeled this story. That's uh-huh. what I have to say about that. Uh, it is south of Greenville, South Carolina. Okay. And when you encounter it from the air, it it seems like a really long grass strip. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. But, I'm sorry. But, but you're really not appreciating it. Okay. So it's 7,000 feet long. But from the air, you cannot appreciate it. You must land to truly appreciate it. There is a lake that is entirely adequate and then some for both ultralight and regular amphibs to land on adjacent to this runway. Yeah. But you fly over the runway and you come in on the pattern. They've actually got a tower because this runway is on a hill. And if you're on one end of it, you can't see the other end. Mm -hmm. They have a tower for when they do their fly-ins. They airlifted that tower with one of those giant sky cranes. Really? From surplus military. Yeah. Guys, and I have to tell you guys, if you haven't right already, the- you got to go to TripleTreeAerodrome.com. Oh, yeah. All right? Oh, yeah. This is just astounding. I'm sorry, Amy. Continue. Yeah. So they dropped it right onto the concrete pad and locked it down. <laughs> okay, boys. This is We're going to uh, have a tower when we have big events. Yeah. And, and this- so what was the occasion of your visit? 
Well, I was actually there for the triple tree fly-in, mm-hmm. which the the outside public doesn't come to. You have to fly in or or if you're a pilot, drive into this event. They have camping. They have hiking. They have fishing. This is acres and acres and acres of property that Pat Harkness has deeded into a 501c3 trust, mm-hmm. nonprofit, for in per- perpetuity. Mm-hmm for uh, having these kinds of flying events. He's also a big RC guy. So he has one of the world-renowned radio-controlled events with more than 1,600 participants at this field every year as well, as well as having his own little hangar-slash-museum and his house is there. But but I digress because I really need to need to lead you in on this from from downwind to base. Now you're noticing somebody stenciled the runway numbers on this grass runway. How often do you see that? Oh yeah, right. Okay. And you're getting closer and you're getting closer and you think, wow, it's pretty pretty manicured for a seven thousand foot by about a hundred and fifty foot um, uh, runway. But it's when you touch down and you realize it's the same grass that they use for the putting green, yeah. okay, Yeah. at Augusta. So it's just like smooth and nice and and, and, and... and just has that little sponge to it. So if you do the right landing, it's the sweetest landing you'll ever <laughs> have. Wow. That sounds Period. great. Yeah. It is a 7,000 foot long by 150 foot wide putting green. Think of it. Yeah. That's I've, I've been hearing about Triple Tree for years because that's where they honor an old friend of mine every year with the Joe Nall Memorial Fly In, large scale radio control fly in. There you go. That's uh, what I'm talking about. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Large scale. It, doesn't describe how many people show up for that event. The picture here on their on their homepage of their website, um, I mean, it's certainly not as big, but in terms of density, it makes it look almost like Oshkosh. I mean, there's just a lot. Well, it's of- not. It's not Oshkosh by any stretch of the imagination. They have four workshops. They have one hangar with with his you know Spartan executive and some other aircraft and a lot of RCs. He's got a three quarter scale Cub. Mm-hmm. Think that through for a minute. RC. Oh, really? Wow. Okay, yeah. It has to have N numbers. Really? Well, that's a story. Because it weighs more than two hundred and fifty-four yeah. pounds. Uh huh. Okay. There's a there's a video of the uh, made off the 2013 Joe Nall flying back in May uh, on the Joe uh, on on the Triple Tree website and. Uh, Coming up again May 10th, uh, Joe Nall week at Triple Tree Aerodrome. Uh, I got to see a little bit of the action of those kind of airplanes at Oshkosh one year when there was a national meet there after the the fly-in. Uh, but I've never been able to make the Joe Nall fly-in and regret that terribly because Joe was a tremendous friend uh, to me back years ago. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. 
Amy, so you, you went there for the occasion of the fly-in. Is this, is yes. this the first time you've been, or have you been yes, before? Yes, because it was there. they had the rain last year, and so we had bought all the camping equipment, but we didn't actually go because the weather was just terrible. Mm-hmm. So we had it all, and Barry said, you know, I really want to do this. I said, okay, so we'll do it. We'll do it. So how long um, are you there for? We were really only there for two nights. Mm-hmm. We camped out Friday and Saturday night. Um, we had a blast. It's very mellow. Mm-hmm. It's really about networking. It's about taking your chair and dropping it on the grass in front of whoever you feel like talking to. It's it's about hot dogs and burgers. It's about the you know cook your own steak on the barbecue dinner on Friday night and the all out you know hog roast barbecue on Saturday night. And I got to tell you, on Saturday night, I'm sitting with some of our EAA chapter members we didn't even know had gone to this that we ran into there. And I'd had a wonderful conversation with Dan Horton and his wife, Patty, and, you know, people who I have corresponded with but never met. Mm -hmm. Very, very lovely. Um, My husband and I are quite intimate in the fact that he has a tent that's kind of a a one-and-a-half-person tent. You can't stand up inside of it. I discover. (laughs) I didn't buy the tent, man. All right. (laughs) That's all I have to say. I'm like, really? We're going to sleep in that? We're drifting into TMI here, Damien. We're jumping another shark here. (laughs) 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 But you survived, huh? You're still married, right? Yeah, we're we're all still married. We're happy. It's a long walk to the showers, but the showers have granite countertops. And, you know, are lovely. Sounds it, like a terrific a really, fly-in. Yeah. It's a really wonderful fly-in. And the last night, Saturday night, they have this big, big um, barbecue. And Pat Harkness and his wife were sitting kind of out on the edge at a really nice vantage point over the lake, over the runway. I'm talking with my EA friends. And, and Pat Harkness and his wife come over and say, do you mind if we plop down here next to you? This is one of our favorite spots. And we're like, yeah, sure. And then we kind of look at him and go, oh, it's your spot. <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 no. You should stay, stay. Let's talk. I mean, he's that kind of guy is uh-huh. what I'm trying to tell you. And, uh-huh. and um, had a lovely conversation with the two of them. You know, the guy came by with with cookies afterwards that you didn't even know you were going to get. It was a neat, neat evening. Um, And he wakes the crowd up every morning with his BT-19, which he insists on flying up and down the runway at at very high speeds at about 7 7 a.m. That's great. That just sounds terrific. Um, the Triple Tree Fly-In. It's uh, tripletreeaerodrome.com is their website. And uh, if you're looking for the airport, Triple Tree Airport, Woodruff, South Carolina, uh, the code is Sierra Charlie 0 And uh, that just sounds awesome. I wish it was just a little bit closer. I would check it out. But uh, You know what? I, I said the same thing, but in reality, it was worth the price of admission. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. That's great. Thank you, Amy. We here at the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. Thank you.
We're back. We got a couple of. Let's see if we can do these quickly here. I don't know. We didn't. How did I didn't, I didn't even keep time? How did we do on the five minute federal stuff? I think we went longer than five minutes. Swift Fuels announced recently that they have. Uh, they're getting ready to actually set up a blending facility. Which I, apparently a blending facility is not like a refinery. It's apparently, I don't know what it is exactly. But the point is that they're going to go into something like production of Swift Fuel, which is the. Uh, the uh, possible, the promising uh, hundred low lead replacement. Um, you guys know anything about this? So you're, it, it all ca- do you care? Everything I know about, it, I read online. Yeah, uh, I know. Uh, and uh, Swift, it's fuel, a step forward. It's, a, I mean, it's a step forward, and that's a good thing. I, I you know, I and. I don't want to. I don't want to poo-poo on Swift Fuel because there, this may be the replacement for Hunter Lola that we desperately need. Um, I, I continue to be disappointed that Swift Fuel has abandoned their biofuels roots, but I guess that was necessary economically. So okay, maybe it'll get them started and they can, uh, they can, uh, you know, uh, make some some progress. So there's that. Um, yeah, it didn't quite get us to where we want to be, but yeah, it's a step. Yeah. So, uh, so Swift Fuels is uh, is in the news recently. They they're actually raising money in order to start this blending facility. Um, that uh, it's not clear to me exactly where it will be, but I guess that doesn't really matter all that much. It'll be someplace in the U.S. and uh, they'll actually start creating this Swift Fuel in Lafayette, some Lafayette, Indiana. Yeah. Well, is that where they're located, or is that where they're planning to put the facility? That was the part that was called clear. a ribbon cutting ceremony to open their new aviation fuel okay. blending facility right. in Lafayette, Indiana. Good. Remember, they're highly affiliated with Purdue. That's right. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. That, so, that I did not know. That's, that makes a lot of sense in several contexts. Yeah, when you see this kind of science project and the words Lafayette or more particularly West Lafayette, mm-hmm. that's Purdue stuff. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we're continuing to root for them, even though I have a little bit of disappointment, but I just had high expectations. And uh, still, 100 low replacement, good thing. Um, good luck to them on this. And uh, they're raising money for their, their uh, blending facility. David, what is the King of the Mountain Airport? Well, that was just my nickname. Daoxing uh, Yading Airport in China opened up in the last week. It now holds the distinction as the world's highest elevation civilian airport, and we'll okay. tease you with the tease you with the math. It's four thousand three hundred and thirty-four meters above sea level. Okay. What? It beats La Paz. That's right. Well, there we go. So, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I have no. I have not, I don't know what to say about this. But this is interesting. All right, um, Amy, you've well, probably been to China more recently than the others of us. <laughs> and, well, uh, you know, they have a five-year <laughs> plan to open like like a bazillion airports. I think it's like five hundred airports mm-hmm. in China over five years. Right. So all I have to say about that is when the Chinese put something into a five-year plan. Unlike our House and Senate, they fund it. Yeah. That's all I got to say. There you go. Okay. Okay, and they're 14,472 feet MSL. Oh, that's right. David wanted us to do the math, and we weren't weren't biting. I'm not going there. I know. (laughs) 14,472. See, the density altitude would impress me even more than Flagstaff. Yeah, I I know, huh? All right, well. Well, What do we we hope to operate? I what? thought I had some information here on the length of the runway, but I don't know. it's not showing up. Well, while you're looking for that, Jeb, what were you saying? What do they hope to operate from that airport? I, you know, I don't know. It's it's China. Don't get me started. <laughs> um, 
13, the, the thing on the list says 13,780 feet long. That's a long There you runway. go. 13, Thank you. Wait a minute, I just caught that. A just thir- so you know how much runway you need. 13,780 <laughs> foot long runway. That's more than two nautical miles. Good you could gosh. land the space shuttle that way. It's almost as long as it is high. I, yeah, I know. I I'm landed, thinking 757 or some equivalent. Not even that. I landed a 152 on a 10,000 foot runway one time. And man, it was an experience. I'll tell you, it's just like, and then we took off again, obviously. And, uh, you know, I mean, we were, we were well above pattern altitude before we reached the far end of the runway. I mean, it was just nuts. It was crazy. Four, I, used to, I used to fly out of Dallas a lot back yeah. in the day uh-huh. uh, when it was the practice approach capital of the world. And um, you do the same thing. I forget how. I think they're 11,000 foot long runways at Dulles. You could do three touch and goes, and they'd, they'd clear you for it, too. Mm, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, seriously, what, they would. Yeah, okay. Hey, what I'm curious about is whether. I'm sorry, go ahead. I said maximize your fun. That's right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, David, go ahead, and then we're going to move on. Well, I'm just wondering whether we'll see another Chinese airport beat this one in elevation. Oh, yeah, because they, okay. they're just they're just getting up on the on the step on their airplane uh, airport building. Yeah, I so. know. Okay, Jeb, you want heads up display in your airplane? Is that what you're going to do here? No, well, I was going to use that for a uh, uh, shout out. But yeah, um, Garmin announced. I'm on their press distribution list. They announced this week a uh, portable head up display gener- uh, uh, device. Uh, f- designed for automobiles uh, for $149.99, buy it, buy it right now off the website. And it's, uh, it connects with, uh, well, it has its own um, uh, software on board, but it also you know, has Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and, and everything else. How long is it until we get something like this uh, for the, the cockpit? I, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's... Uh we are going to charge one hundred ninety nine ninety five. That's what I want to know. Well, they're going to probably charge three fifty for it if it's an if it's an aviation thing and it talks to iPads well, and Androids well, and well, and there like was that. one on display at Sun and Fun in Oshkosh. Was there? Yeah, there was it. about fifteen hundred, if I remember right. Oh, okay, yeah. But it was a standalone with its own projector and accumulator, right. and uh, had its own attitude sensors and. Uh, you could also hook it up to aircraft systems uh get more out of it and i don't remember now who made that yeah well it's like it it's it's aviation you got to charge more to pay for the liability insurance yeah. but uh, th- this is a nice little box for the car the um, car one is cool i i was looking yeah. at the car one and, myself and how, you know how much longer is it going to be before they come up with something for the uh for the airplane yeah could be oh, come on my dad's 1999 corvette had one of those oh yeah no, I get that part, but yes, um, you know my fifty-year-old airplane doesn't. Agreed. <laughs> agreed. No, I I agree. No, I gonna... really like the the HUD that projected on the back of the prop disc. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they we didn't. Talk, yeah. They, they weren't there for the second year. Yeah, they weren't. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's too bad because I love the concept of it. I, think it's, was, a, I think it's a really that was a while ago. Concept that, that was a little controversial here on the podcast, Amy. I don't know if you were. Yeah, you know, it was like well, okay, that, maybe that it was. But, that might have been the first sure. occasion we used the term "blowing snow." <laughs> <laughs> could have been. I could have been. Appreciate that kind of creativity. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I, as I recall, that was I, my I attitude too. too. I think Jeb, you were the one who was poo-pooing the whole idea of displaying on the back of the prop. And uh, have, have, 
I'm going to have to do some. Have they been back? I don't know. We're going to have to do some. Oh, I see. Okay. (laughs) Hey, that doesn't mean it wasn't an elegant idea. Oh, it was a great idea, but it it, it seemed practical. You know, I mean, it's like Terrafugia. It's an awesome idea, but they aren't going to sell six of them. Did I say that right out loud? I really did did say that. Inside voice, outside voice. P-A-T avionics. They call it the G-Help. And it is an honest to God. Is it still self-contained out there? stand uh, uh, heads-up display system? Yeah, it's still there. It's still there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll have to dig out the uh, the clip from the old episode and do something with it. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, when I when I Google HUD on prop, I come up with the uh, housing and urban development site. So uh, <laughs> that's not uh, that's more, not more research is necessary. Yeah, is is called for. Anyways, well, since Jeb, you've started the uh, ball rolling here. Shoutouts. What else we got here? Um, there's there's a couple things on the list. Anybody got that shoutouts? Uh, um, yeah, I, I guess the first one. Well, let's start with David. You got one of these shoutouts? What do you want? I had a shout out to all the uh, finalists in uh, AOPA's uh, outstanding flight instructor uh, competition. Twelve of them, uh, and I put this on the list because something just jumped out at me. Yeah, now it, I have included your list, David, down low. So everybody, scroll down and look at the list and tell David what is distinctive about this. Uh, other, I've landed at two of these airports. That's pretty distinctive. What else? Uh, well, let's see. I've landed at one, two, three, uh, four, four of the airports. Okay. Uh, but that wasn't it either. Okay. What is that? What, what's I, the nine, nine, nine of the 12 are from Virginia. Yeah. Well, no. And they come from three airports, Leesburg, yeah. Warrington, and Manassas. Right. Now, now say again what this list is, David. This is finalist in AOPA's uh, Outstanding Flight Instructor competition, uh, which will be awarded at their summit next week in, uh, or in two weeks down in Fort Worth. Okay, okay. So this is a list of losers. No. This is a list of the finalists. 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 Yeah, no. Finalists. Finalists. Cool. Boy, yeah, no. don't make me come down here and smack I'm sorry. You. I'm sorry. This is cool. They're all good people. They've done great things for their local airports and aviation in general. So that's very good. Cool. Leesburg, I think, boy... That Leesburg owns a list. Manassas uh, is on there. Manassas, Manassas and Warrington are right behind it. Uh, Rochester, New, Skyhaven Airport, Rochester, New Hampshire. That used to be my base. Sounds like the place to go if you need a rating. That's what I was thinking. A really good concentration of uh, excellent flight instructors in the Beltway area. Yeah. Okay, and cool. There's, there's one cool. woman. It is the first one a woman that looks like they reversed the front first and last names. Possibly. Yeah, I believe you're right. Well, so there's one one woman and eleven men. Well, Eric Florence might conceivably be a woman too. Well, I don't know, but I'm I'm just <clears throat> telling you the rate the ratio's about right though, guys. Well, I'll, I'll accept that. <laughs> well, all right, and I wouldn't say the ratio is right. I would say it's probably correct though. It, it, it uh, may, accurate. It, it, it may reflect the, po- the the population. Yeah, but we're working yes. on that. So yeah. we'll we'll keep we'll keep chugging along. Anyways, what's next? Shoutouts. Um, I, I have a shout out here. Just, just to, the Reno Air Races just ended, and uh, uh, Voodoo uh, was the winner in Unlimited. And uh, I don't have the list in front of me of all the other winners, but I just wanted to kind of call attention to the fact that the Reno uh, National Air Races continues and goes on, and is is a big hit and uh, is doing some great things. And uh, it's just uh, again, I, I really one of these days I'm going to get back there. Yeah. I say this every year, but uh, I, I'm really, 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 really want to get Hint. back there. 
Steve Hinton once again shows that he is among the pilot's pilots. Yeah. Now, is this the aircraft that, that once upon a time there was an aircraft known as Voodoo Child? It's like C-H-I-L-E, Voodoo Child. I think that's a different airplane. You think it's a different airplane? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So uh, anyways, um, a lot of cool flying takes place at the Reno Air Races. Um, and uh, um, This just, one looks like it started life as a P-51. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah, that's that's the bad thing about the Reno air races, is that they're taking um, airframes from a limited population of still airworthy classics and turning them into something else altogether. That was one of the reasons why I was always fascinated by the Pond Racer. Remember the Pond Racer? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I thought the Pond Racer was just an awesome development because they were trying to create an unlimited Reno racer from scratch. Yeah, unfortunately it crashed Yeah, and unfortunately burned. it didn't work out and and, and, and and very, very sadly killed its pilot. But, uh, um, but Also hats out to Robert Fisher for some really great photography. Because those suckers are tough to capture. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a lot of good photographies come out of Reno. Another uh, David's is a good example. Um, the folks at GA News posted uh, a bunch of really cool pictures from Reno as well. So uh, go to that website. Go to all these websites for for Reno pictures. What else here? Uh, any other shoutouts, David? Amy? Jeff? Oh, I'll wait till last. Okay, Amy. Anything? No. Jeb? Anything? No. Go ahead. Bueller. Bueller. I guess not. David, you're up. Just real, too. Put a link in here, uh, a video uh, that pairs the original Blue Angels members with uh, a tribute squadron called the Four Horsemen. Very cool. Brian Bearcats. Very cool Uh, video. I I watched it just before we started recording, and I'm glad I did because it's a really, really sweet video. And the other one is in aviation humor. Uh, uh, You know, tip of the wing to the team called... The Chicken Whisperers, <laughs> so, who okay, during this ahead. past weekend's uh, annual Red Bull Flug Tag, Flug set tag, a right. new record of 258 feet before they splashed. <laughs> I see. Okay, David. You think this is flying, huh? All right, I... And you wonder why we have weird dreams. That's all I have to say. <laughs> weird, weird dreams. Yet another of possible title. Of course it's title. flying. You can't run fast enough to throw yourself 258 feet. Uh, Anything that exceeds the body's solo collide ratio is flying. I think and this this is where we we go out the same way we came in. Are we talking lateral distance or vertical distance? <laughs> I know, right? Lateral distance. <laughs> lateral distance. They're all the same vertical distance. It's uh, um, that's right. Everybody gets to fall or, or uh, drop you know, the same amount. It just goes to show you can do with what you can do with a lot of alcoholic enhancement. Um, anyway, hey, some real engineering went into that puppy. Some of those. That's Plus, true. They, I think it always does two. when the beers open. <laughs> Plus, they had a couple of linebackers. Provide launch thrust. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so anybody who's not familiar with what we're talking about, flug tag, um, Google, you'll, you'll see. It's nuts. It's a thing. It's an annual competition this year held in five cities for people to compete in a gliding contest with scratch built machines of their own design. Yeah. Okay. The, the word gliding is where we start to differ on this whole subject, but that's, you know, it's. Well, I'm, I'm not saying up. soaring here, yeah. okay? What's soaring means gaining altitude above launch level. What's the I'm line look- from uh, from uh, Top Gun where he says he says uh, he says, "Mav, we're going ballistic," right? It's like that's <laughs> 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 all. It's like oh, anyways, all right, that's it. No more shout outs. Well, Are we done? There, there's the line <laughs> I mentioned this. Yeah, uh, starting all last week or whenever it was. 
Uh, I was recently watching the old uh, 70s flick, uh, Evil Knievel, and a line from it is, every man has to make his mark. Yours will be on the North Wall. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just beautiful. Thank you, friends. It's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Amy Laboda, it's really great to have you back. Uh, uh, Amy is a freelance aviation writer and the editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine. Amy, what have you been doing? You working on anything fun? Anything you want to tell us about? I have. Uh, I, I was invited to be a part of the uh, AOPAA Opinion Leaders blog. I know. So you've got to look for that. So and, I'm and doing a little blogging so these cool. days. Yeah. yeah, no, that's yeah. very cool. I noticed exactly. you there. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. And I'm very excited because I'm actually, my editor-in-chief position is going to go on for another five weeks or so, and I have someone that I'm going to be passing that on to. And I'm quite excited about the opportunities to come after that. You're going to become like a, you know, a a freelance wretch like the rest of us here. Yes, I will be a freelance wretch like the rest of you. But I think I'm going to do it multimodal. So I know you got some interesting ideas. Maybe we'll talk to you separately about that at some point. But uh, yeah. So uh, in the meantime, where can people find you on the internet, Amy? Oh, I am uh, all over the place, really. Uh, AOPA Opinion Leaders blog. I've got the the uh, WAI show daily blogspot.com. Uh, and I'm on LinkedIn if you want to find me there. Yeah. So. And I believe there's actually a an amyloboda.com. There is an amyloboda.com as well. It is a work in progress, It's a work though, in progress. I have to tell and it's, you. it's my fault that it's a work in progress, not That's Amy's. okay. Right. That's okay. Yeah. As soon so. as I figure out how to get WordPress on there, we'll have something. Yeah. But give us a couple weeks, there please. There you go. There you go. Thank you, Amy. Are You aren't on Twitter, are you, Amy? I am not, but that's another one of the things you're going to drag me into. Kicking we are. If you're going to be a freelancer, you got to do all the social <laughs> media stuff. Otherwise, they'll they'll forget about you. No, they won't forget about you, Amy. No. Anyways, it's great to have you with us. Thank you very much. It's a delight to be here. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. It's fun. Yeah. Jeb, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. Say that repeatedly. You'll, eventually, you'll believe it. Jeb Burnside <laughs> is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. I was going to say machine. No, Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what you been working on? Anything fun? Not a whole lot. Trying to stay dry. Yeah. Tackle some projects, personal and professional, and can't can't really talk about a couple of them right yet. But so where do you find you on the internet? Yeah, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, AEA.net, JEBurnside.com, and somewhere on the on the Twitter it's Burnside J, and somewhere on Facebook. Yeah. And Dave Higdon is a uh, uh, aviation photographer, uh, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what have you been working on? Uh, well, I've got an interview with uh, the NBAA president, Ed Bolin, uh, hitting the streets in World Aircraft Sales Magazine here in the next couple of days. And uh, for the October avionics news, a piece on uh, the uh, Mostly pros and few cons of light-emitting diode lighting systems for replacement for just about everything now, finally. Oh, cool. Yeah. And where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, AEA.net, Avbuyer.com, or do a Google search, throw a rock, and roll the dice. Yeah, you're on on the Twitter. I am uh, at realhigdon.com. There you go. 
And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, check out my Kindle eBooks uh, by checking uh, at uh, Amazon.com/author/JackHodgson. I'm working frantically on putting together um, a new eBook, which is kind of a, a, a retrospective on this that past summer's uh, Oshkosh fly-in. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna publish that as a, a very low-priced uh, Kindle eBook, um, sort of my perspective, my Jack's notebook, so to speak, uh, on on Oshkosh. So I'm working on that, and that'll that'll appear on Kindle one of these days. Uh, working on Volume Three of the Around the Field series that that'll be out uh, one of these days as well. And uh, just just kind of kind of keep going with a, a lot of different uh, new media ideas. Uh, I would love for people who want to uh, stay in touch with me and, and, and learn about the things that I'm working on to sign up for my email newsletter. Uh, no more than once a week, I'll be sending out information about my publications and the other things that I'm working on. Uh, there's a link to the subscription form uh, and a lot, of, a lot of other information about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums. Uh, don't forget you can check out the rest of the UCAP website. Uh, you can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. You can see who's doing what on the new ratings webpage of fame and much, much more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, was there something you wanted to tell us about? If you want to live long like Jack, go fly because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. AMF. <laughs> <laughs>